Lord, we, um, we ask for your presence. We, we ask that um, as we open your word and as we contemplate really the ultimate question about your existence, um, I pray that you would speak clearly and loudly. And Lord, if there are, are people here who are questioning whether you exist or not, I pray that you would reveal yourself clearly. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sermon is entitled, The Odds of God. Does the God of the Bible really exist? And what I want to do is a series of sermons asking ultimate questions like this. And what I want to do is use some magic tricks to help illustrate these truths. Now, this is not just frivolous, you know, let's do some entertainment for the sake of entertainment. Um, These tricks are hopefully going to help really bring the truth of what we're talking about to light. Um, So that's that's the goal. But today we want to start by asking the question, does the God of the Bible really exist? Now, before we, um, we answer that question, let me go even deeper and ask this. Does it matter? Does it matter if the God of the Bible really exists or not? And I'm going to suggest that absolutely it matters. In fact, let me start by giving you three quick reasons why it matters to everyone in this room, really to everybody in the world, right? Purpose, morality, and eternity. Purpose, morality, and eternity. What do I mean by that? Well, purpose. What's your purpose for living? What's your purpose for getting out of bed in in the morning and doing whatever it is you do? What is the purpose of your life? Um, Let's take a look at what we can learn from the Olympics and uh, look at a couple of people. You know who that is? Usain Bolt. He is the fastest man on the planet. He won the, uh, the 100 and the 200. And um, his purpose, of course, is to win, and um, he is living for his own glory. Here are some of his quotes. All I can say is, yo, Jamaican sprinters taking over the world. As long as I'm in great shape, nobody beats me, for sure. And then they asked him if he was going to get married. You don't want to get married at 22, especially if you're famous, because girls are going to be throwing themselves at you. Okay? But uh, he's the best, he knows he's the best, and he loves the attention, right? Now, let's contrast him to Gabby. Gabby also got gold, and she says this is her purpose. God has given me this awesome talent to represent him. Glory goes up to him and the blessings fall down on us, right? Now, two purposes. One, live for your own glory. The other, live for the glory of the God who created you. Okay? Um, Now, you may call yourself a believer in God, but if you think you're pretty hot, maybe you're a good businessman, maybe you're smart, uh, maybe you're just ordinary, good person, but you're just living for your own self, you're not living for the purpose for which you were created. That is, if there is a God who created you. Okay? Um, if there is a God, then he created you for his glory. If there isn't a God, then go ahead and live for your own glory. But what you do when you get out of bed in the morning uh, is determined by whether there's a, a God or not. Well, whose purpose you're living for is, is dependent on whether there's a God or not. All right? Let me give you a second thing. Morality. If the God of the Bible exists, there's going to be a judgment day. Ecclesiastes 12, 14 says this, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. He will judge you by his moral standard, and he will bring every secret thing, whether good or evil. So not just what you do publicly, but what you do privately, what you do on your computer. The thoughts you think in your head about the other people at church, about the other people at work, 
everything will be brought into judgment if the God of the Bible exists. If he doesn't exist, do you know that the Bible tells you if God doesn't exist and there isn't an afterlife, the uh, most consistent thing you can do is just live a reckless life? In fact, the Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, if the dead are not raised, if there's no afterlife, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If you are not a believer in God and you live a moral life, you're a fool. Why would you do that? Why not eat and drink and get drunk and live gluttonously and, and just be, live for, for yourself? Because when you die, that's it. Be consistent is what Paul is saying. So, if there is a God and he created you for his glory, you need to be living that purpose. If not, then live for yourself. If um, there is a God, there is a day of judgment coming. If not, go for the gusto. All right? Third thing, eternity. If God exists, heaven and hell is real. If he doesn't exist, when you die, you're just worm food. That's it. But if there is a God, if the God of the Bible exists, Jesus says this. The unbeliever, the unrighteous person, these will go away unto eternal punishment, but the righteous unto eternal life. It's either one or the other. There's no purgatory in the Bible. It's either heaven or hell. Right? You're either going to heaven or going to hell. It's one or the other. Right? So, does it matter if God exists? You better believe it. In fact, some of you may have never even thought about this. What are you doing wasting your life? Whether God exists or not matters greatly. So, let's ask the question. Does the God of the Bible really exist? Now, um, here's what I want to do. I want to present to you the two most basic arguments for the existence of God. Now, um, theologians and philosophers have these big terms. Uh, they call the first one the cosmological argument. It has to do with the cosmos. I'd like to bring it down to a level that I can understand. I call it the argument from the existence of stuff. Okay? And um, the cosmological argument goes like this. Look around, what do you see? Stuff. Where did it come from? Where did it, how did it get here? God created it. That's, that's the argument. Okay? Um, Paul, in essence, uses this argument in the first chapter of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, he says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. So what this is saying is the wrath of God is coming upon man because man is denying the truth. What's the truth about God's existence? He has made his existence so plain to them that there's no excuse. Well, how has he done that? Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Where? Being understood from what has been made. Stuff. The cosmos. Being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Uh, Even the man on the island who doesn't have the internet or a Bible has no excuse to say nobody told me God exists. Because God has created creation. And we look around and we go, how did it get here? Now, uh, somebody says, oh, I went to school. I believe in evolution. Well, what's that have to do with it? Evolution is a theory that tries to explain how lower life forms mutated into higher life forms. Evolution doesn't explain how the lower life forms got there in the first place or how the stuff got there in the first place. Where did stuff come from? You can mutate all you want and theorize about that, 
But where did the original stuff come from? Now, there's really only two worldviews that you can think about. One is called naturalism. Naturalism basically says all there is is the natural observable world. That's all there is. There is no supernatural world. There's no God. Therefore, all there is is stuff, and we have to figure it out through scientific method. Supernaturalism, or theism, says, yes, there's a natural observable world, but the natural observable world was created by somebody outside of the natural world, supernatural, above nature, God. Those are the two worldviews. Now, for years, people tried to introduce a third worldview, and that is, they said, well, instead of God, the supernatural God being the source of the natural world, what if nature, matter itself, is eternal? What if the answer to the question, where did it come from, is it's always been here? Right? What if matter is eternal? Nobody believes that anymore. Nobody believes that anymore. At least... Nobody in the natural scientific world believes that anymore. They used to believe that matter was eternal. Now, nobody believes it. Why? Well, anybody know who that is? Looks like a picture from like the Twilight Zone, doesn't it? That's Edwin Hubble. And that's, that's not the Hubble telescope. The Hubble telescope is named after him, but that's his uh, original a telescope that he looked through in 1920s, and Hubble observed something about the universe. There was a red shift in the galaxies. In other words, um, they're moving away from one another. Hubble discovered that the universe is expanding. John Barrow, an astronomer, called Hubble's discovery the greatest discovery of the 20th century. I thought it was the sham wow, but... <laughs> you go, now what's so revolutionary about the fact that the, the earth is expanding? Well, think it through. If it's expanding, then the day before it was smaller. And the day before it was smaller. And the day before it was smaller... And at one point, it was down to a point of infinite density, right? or nothing. In other words, there was a moment of creation, or we'll put it in more scientific terms, there was a beginning to the universe. You go, does everybody believe that? Yes, at least in the naturalistic world. Even Stephen Hawking says, almost everyone now believes that the universe and time itself had a beginning at the Big Bang. Now, whether you buy the Big Bang or not, I'm not so sure I buy the Big Bang. But from a naturalistic point of view, if you're going to go by pure naturalism, you have to play by these rules. And they all say there was a beginning to the universe. Okay? Now, um, a basic philosophical truth is that everything that has a beginning must have a cause. That's the principle of causality. Things don't just happen for no reason. There is a cause to everything that has a beginning. Even the great skeptic David Hume said, but allow me to tell you that I never asserted so absurd a proposition as that anything might arise without a cause. Okay, now there's the two worldviews. Naturalism, everything is just the observable natural world. There's no supernatural world, or there's uh, supernaturalism or theism, that there is a God who created the world. Those who believe that God exists say, well, the cause of the universe is spelled out in the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But those who believe in naturalism have no answer. There's no God. The natural world is all there is. Everything must follow natural processes 
But guess what? According to naturalism, you are required to abandon the first rule of naturalism, causality. You need to actually believe that everything popped into existence without a cause. In other words, if you buy naturalism, you have to abandon naturalism to buy naturalism. Okay? Give nothing long enough and it will turn into people. Everything came from nothing uncaused. You have to buy that. Right? Here's uh, two, two mathematicians working out something. and uh, He says, I think you should be more explicit here in step two. A miracle occurred. Okay. Now, some scientists will say, well, we don't know what caused the universe to happen, but, but we believe that one day we will. You know what you call that? Faith. If you're a believer in God, you get mocked for having faith. If you're a believer in naturalism, well, we just place our faith that science will somehow come up with an answer. Right? So, what are the odds of God? Or what are the odds of naturalism? Naturalism, zero. God, 100%. Okay? Now, somebody says, but wait. Who caused God? Right? Who caused God? Well, wait a minute. Everything that had a beginning has a cause. The God who created everything has revealed himself in a book called the Bible, and it says that God is eternal. You see, things that don't have a beginning, like God, don't have a cause. He's the uncaused cause of everything else. Right? So, uh, argument number one for the existence of God, the cosmological argument. Look around their stuff. Where did it come from? There's no explanation other than a supernatural God created the natural world. There's no other explanation. Okay? Now, let me give you the second argument, then we'll get into some of this, these fun tricks. Okay? It's called the teleological argument. It comes from the Greek word that means the end. Um, it's an argument from looking at not just the existence of matter, but from the order and the design of the universe. Okay, again, back to Romans, Paul says this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Um, I, I call the cosmological argument the argument from the existence of stuff. I call the teleological argument the argument from the exis existence of cool stuff. Okay, um, here's, here's the argument. Let's say you're walking through the woods and um, you look down and there's rock and some leaves and some sticks it's just scattered. There's, there's no indication. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have any indication that anybody had been there before. But let's say you walk a little further and you come to a clearing and there's 50 rocks all side by side in a circle. Ah, somebody's been here. Why? Because order requires an orderer. Right? Unless you believe in naturalism, then you go, order just happens by itself and it creates people. It creates the human brain, the most complicated supercomputer. It just happened by itself. There's no orderer. Right? Can you really look at the world and the ecosystems and the human eye and the brain and the digestive system and well some digestive systems are not in order but um, can you really look at the complexity of design and say ah, just happened life just happened by itself you know I always say the strongest argument for the existence of God is go to the zoo hummingbird flaps his wings 1,500 times a minute. So he's like a little helicopter. It's like a little gyroscope. Just happened. Just randomly happened by itself. Right? A monkey 
You ever see a monkey just flip around for just like from one limb to another? He uses this tail. He's just, I mean, those gymnasts are good, but not like a monkey. Right? And Usain Bolt's fast, but not as fast as that creature, the cheetah. He can go 75 miles an hour. Isn't it amazing what evolution accidentally created, that well-engineered thing that can run 75 miles an hour? Isn't that amazing? Okay. Um, the human eye. Here's a quote. To suppose that the eye, with all its intimidable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration, could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd to the highest degree. And you know who said that? Charles Darwin. I have to admit that natural selection is, is laughable when you look at the human eye, but I'm going to buy it anyways because I've got to get rid of God. Right. Now, um, point number one is this. Look around at the world. Not only do we see stuff, but we see order. Where does order come from, an orderer? So let's try a little, uh, little experiment here with a deck of cards. And I left it in, uh, in its wrapper here. All right, so I'm going to open it. Here, buddy. All right. This has never been opened before. Get rid of the jokers. There you go. I won't make any comment. <laughs> Joker for a joker. Okay. All right, so this, these are all in order, and I'm going to shuffle them. In fact, do you shuffle? Go ahead, shuffle. Steve, right? Okay, go ahead. That was pretty bad, Steve. <laughs> there you go. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to do a little experiment in... Uh, so these are, these are all shuffled pretty good, huh? Let's give them a real shuffle. <laughs> no, no. All right, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a... Um, a black card here, or I'll put a black card here, and I'll put a red card here. So this is our red pile, this is our black pile, okay? And um, I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to reach in here and take out a card. And Ryan, what do you think, do you think that's red or black? Red. You think it's red? All right, I'm going to put it here. We're gonna, I'm going to need a lot of help, so let's just go through the, uh, the congregation here. What do you think this is, red or black? Red, very good. Red or black? Black, all right. So I'm going to put the black one here. Let's move this over here. Can you all see this? All right. Uh, how about, let's do two. Buddy? Black. black. Okay, let's see here. How about Megan? Black. Steve? Black. Black. You guys are messing with me. Red, okay. Uh, ladies? You think it's black? All right. Red, okay. Uh, let's go here. Uh, Rita? It's red, okay. We'll put it there. Um, let's see here. Shelly? This has never been done in church before. Okay. How about, uh, let's see here. Cassandra, what do you think? I think it's black. Okay, that's pretty good. Okay, let's uh, let's see how we're. Uh, should we do one more? Okay, one, Paul. Red. <laughs> you sound irritated with this whole thing. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's shuffle these up. All right, now you you guys are doing very well. Um, in fact, let's see. You thought that was red. You got that right. And uh, let me just. Reach here. What do you think that is, red or black? Black. You're right. Okay, that's black. Now, since you're doing so well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to switch. You sound irritated too back there. Okay. I'm going to put this red indicator over here and the black indicator over here just because you're doing so well. So now I'm going to goof you up. All right? So let's, uh, let's do this a little quicker. We'll go right down the row. What do you think this is? You think it's red? Oh, wait. Red goes over here. See? Yeah, almost had me. 
Black's over here. Black's over here. Black's over here. Red. Black. Red. It's black over here. Okay. You think it's red? Okay. Good enough? Should we stop? All right. Let's stop. <laughs> oh, sorry, Josh. All right. <laughs> Whatever. Leave me out. I'm the last child. I always get left out anyways. Okay. All right. So let's, uh, no sleight of hand here. Let's just see how we did here. I'm going to set that aside. We'll just separate these here. Okay. Now, wouldn't it be freaky if when we turn these around, these were all red and these were all black, okay? And then if we, let's take the black here. You thought these were black and you got them all black and you thought these were all red and these are all red. Burn him. He's a witch. No. <laughs> now, um, let me ask you this. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe we really randomly uh, separated all the red from black by guessing, or do you think there was a trick to it? How many of you think we randomly did that? Raise your hand. How many of you think there was some kind of a trick involved? Now, right there. Order implies an orderer. The fact that we were able to bring order, red and black, we go, that couldn't have happened randomly with a few cards. But we go, look at the universe. It all just randomly came together by itself. The human brain, the human eye, hummingbirds and cheetahs. Really. Why are we so skeptical of a card trick but so gullible when it comes to creation, right? Let me go a little bit further, though, okay? That's uh, order implies an order-er, okay? Examine those. Make sure they're ordinary. Okay. Ryan will be playing solitaire in the front row, okay? Order implies an order, but we're going to go a little step further. Precise order. Precision implies a precise order-er, okay? Let's look at how precise the universe is. Francis Collins, who's a scientist, writes this. There are 15 constants in cosmology, okay, 15 constants. The gravitational constant, Various constants about the strong and weak nuclear force, etc. So there's 15 of these constants that have precise values. If any one of those constants was off by even one part in a million, or in some cases by one part in a million million, the universe could not have actually come to the point where we see it. Matter would not have been able to coalesce, and there would have been no galaxy, stars, planets, or people. So somebody actually tried to calculate what are the odds of everything perfectly precisely lining up. And um, Donald Page of Princeton's Institute for Advanced Science has calculated the odds against our universe randomly taking a form suitable for life as one out of 10 billion to the 124th power. So that's 10 billion with 124 more zeros. I don't even know what that number would be. A number that exceeds all imagination. Astronomers Fred Hoyle and N.C. Wicker found that the odds of the random formation of a single enzyme from amino acids anywhere on our planet's surface are 1 in 10 to the 20th power. Furthermore, they observe the trouble is that there are about 2,000 enzymes, and the chance of obtaining them all in a random trial is only one part in 10 to the 40,000th power, an outrageously small probability that could not be faced even if the whole universe consisted of organic soup. Right? So again, the evolutionists tell us that um, random things happened that created enzymes that created life, but the odds of it happening are 
astronomical. So can we try a little experiment dealing with odds? And you say, sure, okay. Does anybody have, um, I, I need a, a cell phone, and here are the props. We have um, a pickle jar and a dice, some mailing envelopes, and, of course, some Pop-Tarts, okay? I think we can all see where this is going. All right, now, I need somebody, I need to borrow a cell phone, but, I, but what I want is like a really, really expensive cell phone, like an iPhone. Do you have an iPhone? You have an iPhone? Okay. Um, I hate to do, who does Barb? Barb, come on up here. Now, this is not set up, Barb, right? We, we have not talked or anything. Come on over. You don't have a clue what's going on here, right? Okay. Now, you have a cell phone there, and that's an iPhone, probably a couple thousand dollars. No. Well, whatever. Okay. Now, um, the reason we have Pop-Tarts is I like them, okay? Actually, Pop-Tarts are very similar in size and weight, okay? So what I want to do is put a Pop-Tart in here, and then, can you do this for me? Yeah. Just rip that off there, and then seal it down. You don't even have to lick it, okay? But then, can, can we put your phone in one? Look, it's got the, um, the bubble wrap, so it won't... Yeah, go ahead and rip that off there. Now, you heard her. She said it's invincible, right? Here. You, you do that one. I'll put one in here. Yeah, Pop-Tart. Pop the Pop-Tart in there. Sticky it down. No, no, don't re you don't need to remember. In fact, the sooner we forget, the better. Okay? In fact, go ahead and mix them all up. So, so there we go. Very good. Oh, and I need a pen. Does somebody have a pen? Thank you. Don't get carried away, Barb. I mean... Okay, now let's put them like this. And if you would take that, and what I want you to do is number them. Just put a one on there. Very nice. Two, okay, three. You can mix them if you want to. Four, five, six. Very good. Okay, so there we go. And then here, pickle jar with the dice from, do uh, you play Yahtzee? I used to. Smell that. Jar. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it, it is still pickle, yeah. Okay. So we have to put this back because it's from the double bonus Yahtzee game, and the missus loves that game, right? Okay. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to shake this and then tell me whichever one comes up. Okay, you go ahead and shake it. And leave it in there, yeah. Five. Okay, so where's number five? Okay, now, there's one more thing I didn't tell you about. See? All right, go ahead, give it another shake. What do you got? Three? Okay, here we go. Look, it already shook. What do you got there? Six. Six? Where's six? You want to do it? Go ahead. <laughs> All right. You got three left. Give it a shake. No, no. <laughs> what do you got? Five. five. We already did five. Keep going. Three? We've got to shake it again. Five. Five. Three. Five. This is not... What is wrong with this? No. Four. There's a four. 
Ryan? I hope that was a Pop-Tart. <laughs> One. Ooh. <laughs> All right, so there's one left. Go ahead, open it, Barb. Oh, you didn't do that. No, we're not going to do that one. She's so cooperative. <laughs> Vanna White here. Yes, Vanna. What do you got? There it is! <laughs> you, you were crying, weren't you? Yes. Because you were worried. Do you, do you know that I was in front of Walgreens and a bicycle, a kid went by on a bicycle and she's talking on the phone and almost ran over me. No. Excuse me. Yeah, I know. It's, it's the texting it's world. Okay, give Barb a big hand here. Here's... Now, you go, what does that have to do with anything? Well, uh, the odds of getting uh, the right one were one and six. Now, how many of you believe that I really took a random chance versus that was a trick? How many of you think it was a trick? Yeah, it was a trick. Obviously, it was a trick because I don't want Barb mad at me. She drives a Volkswagen, right? So we go, oh, the odds are one in six. It had to be all set up by somebody with some intelligence, right? But the odds of the universe coming to be the way they are, 10 billion to the 124th power, that just randomly happened by itself. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. You know, um, many scientists today admit, when you look especially at the human cell, they go, you know what, the, the, uh, the clues pointing to intelligent des design are so great that we admit that, that, that the cell didn't come about randomly. It was designed by an intelligent designer. So then you say, God? No. You know what they say? Nobel laureate Francis Crick's answer to the question of how life around us began Quote, probably because a spaceship from another planet brought spores to seed the earth. We can't get around the fact that the cell was intelligently designed, but we will give credit not to God, but to aliens. Okay? Some of you saw the movie Expelled. Remember Ben Stein? Who, ben Stein, win Ben Stein's money. He uh, interviewed uh, Dawkins, Richard Dawkins. And he asked him, he said, what do you think is the possibility that intelligent design might turn out to be the answer to some of the issues in genetics or in evolution? And Dawkins answers, and he is the leading atheist today. He says, well, it could come about in the following way. It could be that at some earlier time, somewhere in the universe, a civilization evolved probably by some kind of Darwinian means, probably to a very high level of technology, and designed a form of life that they seeded into perhaps this planet. Now, um, now, that's a possibility and an intriguing possibility, and I suppose it's possible that you might find evidence for that. If you look at the details of biochemistry, molecular bio biology, you might find a signature of some sort of designer. So, yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's a designer, but who did it? Aliens. I got a question for Mr. Dawkins. Where'd the aliens come from? Maybe, maybe other aliens seeded their planet. Well, where did those aliens come from? Maybe other aliens. It's kind of like the, they asked the hillbilly once, how does the earth stay suspended in sky without falling? He said, well, that's easy. It's on the back of a turtle. And then they said, well, well, what keeps the turtle from falling? And they said, well, he's on the back of another turtle. And they said, well, how, what keeps that turtle from falling? Well, it's turtles all the way down. It's aliens all the way down. All right, now, one more point. 
Point one, order requires an orderer. Precise order requires a precise orderer. One more thing we want to look at along the lines of order is information. Information does not just randomly produce itself. Coded information does not randomly produce itself. Um, information must come from an intelligent source. Okay? Now, there's a scientist named Warner Gitt, wrote a book called In the Beginning Was Information. He says this, life is built upon information. In fact, in just one of the trillions of cells that make up the human body, the amount of information in its genes would fill at least 1,000 books of 5,000 pages of typewritten information. Scientists now think this is hugely underestimated. So I did the calculations of the size of this room. If you took books of 500 pages and stacked them like in a bookshelf from that wall, it would reach all the way from that wall to that wall, and then a second row coming back, all every page of, of typewritten information, that's how much information is encoded on every cell in your body. Okay? And it's code that programs how the cells grow. It's not just random weeds growing. It's code. Okay? It goes on to say, a coded system is always the result of a mental process. It requires an intelligent origin or inventor. It should be emphasized that matter as such is unable to generate any code. All experiences indicate that a thinking being voluntarily exercised his own free will, cognition, and, and creativity is required. Okay? There is no known law of nature, no known process, and no known sequence of events which can cause information to originate by itself in matter. But what we have to believe to buy evolution is that the coded cell in DNA not only randomly happened, but it gets more complex and more complex and more complex. Right? From a simple cell to a complex human cell. It just doesn't work. Right? Computer glitches destroy your programming. They don't make it better. So can we try one more, um, one more experiment? I need another cell phone. No, I, and we're not going to use a hammer this time. Does somebody have a cell phone that we can use that actually works in, uh, in okay, George, why don't you just, uh, George, come on up here to the front row. And then I need um, just three people to think of a, of a three-digit number. Some of you saw this. Just have a seat right there, okay? Um, can... Um, why don't we use people in the back row here? Can, can I have you three guys help me out here? Sure. Come on up here. Come on up here. All right. And I'm not paying you off, right? Like, we, this is not... All right. Scripted? No. Come on up here. Now, what I want you three guys to do is each think of a three-digit number, not 666, Bill, okay? In fact, a three-digit number... And all different digits, so not 444, but like 197 or something like that. Y'all have one? Okay. Now, um, so George, did your phone work in here? Okay. Now, I have my phone. Oh, it says no sing signal. Well, we'll see if we can get it to work. In fact, I'll stand over here. Is there a signal now? I'm leaving right now. I don't have a signal, so the trick won't work. All right. Um, let me try calling somebody, see if it works. I'm going to call Elizabeth. You getting a signal? No. Next time you... Oh, well, I'll tell you what. Let's, let's pretend that we have a signal. You have a signal? I want an expensive phone here. 
I'll tell you what, let's try this. Um, you guys have a number in your heads? Okay. Here, I have a calculator on my phone. And, Bill, would you type in your three digits? I won't look. You got it? Now, push multiply. And would you type in your three digits? And push multiply. And would you type in your three digits? And push equals. And you got, I don't want to look. You got a big number there? Pretty big? Like how many digits? Trillions. Trillions, okay. <laughs> All right, so three random numbers multiplied by one another, okay? And um, uh, so we've got some random number there. Now, dear. What is my cell phone number? Tell everybody. Uh, 630-210-1231. What's your total? 630-210-131. Wow. See, that was going to be really cool. I was going to have George type it in, call that number, and that was going to ring, and you were going to answer it. But it doesn't work in here. But we still got the number. Give these guys a big hand here. All right. <laughs> now, um, do you think there's a God? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a God. Okay. Not only has he revealed himself in creation, but he has revealed himself in a book. Okay. called the Bible. Now, so far, this has all been really pretty theoretical, and you could leave this morning going, hey, that was, that was entertaining, and that was interesting, a lot to think about. I haven't stepped on your toes yet, though, and it wouldn't be Valley Brook without me stepping on your toes before you leave, right? Okay. Let's go back to one last thing. You know why people end up embracing theories of naturalism? You might think... It's, well, because they're scientific, and that's what the facts produce. No. The Bible tells us the reason we come up with systems of thought that get rid of God is because we're sinful. Let's read it again. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth. The truth is God exists, but they suppress the truth. Why? By their wickedness, by their sinfulness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. How has he made it plain? Existence of stuff, the existence of cool stuff, the existence of order, the existence of information. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. There is no excuse to say, I don't know if God exists. But the reason we, we say, oh, evolution, I love that theory, is because we don't have to want to, we don't have to, or we don't want to have to deal with the existence of God because then we're accountable to him. Sinners don't want to deal with the reality of God. So if we can latch onto a system that will give us cover, and that's really what it's all about, that's what we will do. But I've got good news for you. You don't have to fear the existence of God. Oh, yes, he has a standard, and we will be judged by that perfect standard on Judgment Day. But God is not only a perfect judge, he is perfectly merciful. And the good news is, he sent his son Jesus into this world to be nailed to a cross to pay the price for sinners. And the good news is, all who say, yes, I'm a sinner... I admit it. I am a sinner. I believe you exist. And I have violated your, your law. And when you turn to him in repentance, 
you admit your sin and you turn from your sin to him and you trust in him, the good news is what he did for you becomes yours. You are a Christian. You are in Christ. And then as you look forward to Judgment Day, you don't have to fear it. Because on Judgment Day, you know what's going to happen? Here's what's going to happen to me. He's going to go, oh, liar, lustful, egomaniac, um, bad father, bad husband. Don't quote me on that. Oh, but I see here that you trusted Christ. And his life covers yours. Come on in. That's what Christianity is. The good news. The good news that Christ paid your debt. And you are saved by trusting in him, not by your own record. And that is some good news. Have you received him into your life? 